Hey there, and welcome to the Failure Guy podcast. This is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. Join me as we take a look into the darker side of success. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Hey there, and welcome to the third episode of The Failure Guy. Today, my guest is Andrew Bull, joining us all the way from the UK. Hey, Andrew. Hi, thanks for having me on the show today, Ben. Really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you too. I know there's a little bit of info I know about you, but feel free to give me some background uh, for some of our listeners. I know you've got the uh, Interstellar Business Report. You want to talk a little bit about that first before we get into some of the more failure-related aspects? Yeah, well, we can talk about. I can talk about the report. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to talk about the report, but like, but I mean, maybe we should talk about like a bit of a journey that people go on in terms of fa- as this is the Failure Guy podcast. Maybe we should talk, start by telling a bit of story about some of the failures I, I I've made, which are quite a few. Absolutely, and like. And how and how much I've learned from them, really, which I get is this is this is this part of your concept with the failure guide podcast as well? Yeah, for sure. I think um, before we get into the failure too much, we want to give the viewers a little bit of a context for um, understanding uh, the stakes, maybe. So, you know, what kind of industry are you in? What do you do? And what would be the business surrounding, you know, some of the failure stories we'll get into in just a moment? Sure. Okay. So I, right, right now I'm helping, uh, small, small businesses like micro to boutique businesses, maybe three to 15 employees. That's the, that's the main focus right now. Uh, helping those teams perform at a higher level and move more towards a lifestyle business, um, and away from like the chaos and, randomness of business development which surrounds a lot of smaller businesses of that size Um, because growing a business is tough and complicated and now more than ever we're surrounded by endless options ideas and tactics and so on so it's not really a wonder that people end up going after chaotic random things and chasing the next shiny idea because um, there's just so much going on, right? It's hard. You're surrounded by messages and ideas every day. Like, hey, let's try Facebook or let's do Instagram or what about cold calling? And so there's this temptation to chase after everything. But the problem is when it's like if you're going into the sea, right, and you try to catch every fish, what would you catch? Probably nothing. Yeah, you'd probably, you'd probably catch nothing. So this is a big problem with business development that a lot of a lot of people have. Um and I was actually looking um, the other day through that, uh, like, so the House of Commons, um, the, the the British Parliament mm-hmm. has a library, right? And they have some data in that library, like they do reports about business and stuff, which anyone can access, actually. Um, so you can Google that and find that. And it was really interesting to see how many that, like, the bulk of uh, companies in the UK and probably in the States uh, and Canada and so on, um, bulk bulk of companies are small companies by by far hugely right it's like 95 percent small co- small companies are five percent really big companies is is the simplistic overview but but when you look at the average earnings per employee at the those businesses it's much much smaller you're talking 
I haven't got the exact figures to hand, but approximately it's about £50,000, which is actually pound to dollar rate is not, not that too dissimilar at the moment. Mm-hmm. So it's got about $50,000 around there. But you go up to these big businesses and they're earning like one eight, 180000 um, per employee, per head. So you can see there's a big difference in terms of um, – performance of 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 businesses and um sorry if i'm i'm going on a mm. bit here but there, i think there's a big difference because some of these bigger businesses obviously have these bigger structural uh more developed ways of developing their business whereas when you're a smaller business you don't have that team of biz- that structure of business development and so you have to feel your way around uh and try and find the best thing to do but often that that's the case, you know, you bump into the chaos and randomness and your the precious business development budget gets lost. So my aim with um, with my training system that I'm now rolling out, which is the Growl system, is to actually help people cut, cut away the chaos, reduce the random and start moving away from the black hole of business development. And I see the black hole as being this, this uh, thing that just sucks in all the all the goodness and all, everything that you're trying to do as a business, a small business owner, because I think small business owners have so much energy, don't you think, Ben? They have huge amount of energy. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's great that you're focusing on that um, segment because you know the the small businesses. You said three to fifteen people; those tend to be the ones that have less certainty in what they're doing. They might have a good idea. They might have you know some parts of the business that are working well, but a lot of times they need help in you know rounding that out and, you know, help from someone who might know a bit more of the typical challenges that a business, you know, might face as they grow. Is there anything specifically that, that brought you into to that segment or, you know, expertise that you bring from a, a particular background in life? Is there a reason that you picked this? I think the re, the re, the reason, I, I mean, it's funny you should ask that. My background is uh, in the UK film industry, working on very big uh, productions with hundreds, maybe thousands of people on a film crew. Uh, but actually inside of that, you have small teams. So most of those small teams aren't bigger than 15 people. I mean, you get a film, when you go to shoot on a film set, you might have 150 people there. But most of the time, most people are working in these small teams with about 15 people. So I've been working in these kind of small team environments for a long time. And uh, I was in, I was a co-founder of a post-production uh, like visual effects facility, you know, the kind of place that uh, joined together computer graphics and shot footage uh, in London. And we had a team of about 15 people. So I'm familiar, I'm familiar with the, the challenges and mindset and, the common mistakes i suppose mm-hmm. that businesses of that um size make and and i think i've had over time i've had the opportunity to step back and kind of understand where things have gone wrong with my own past businesses and and where and you just can't and after you experience time with other businesses of that size, you start seeing the common mistakes and problems and 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 kind of the the full steps that they're making. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And so that, that brings us right into maybe some of your own mistakes you've made in, in life or, or failures you've had. Like, is there a big revelation that stands out in your mind from, you know, something you'd done the wrong way and, and the lessons that you learned from that in terms of taking something that didn't necessarily work or, or could be viewed as a failure and then trying to, to mine some gold from that? 
Oh, oh yeah, I've just made tons of mistakes. So yeah, no, there's no worries there reaching in there. I suppose my 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 one of my big early ones when I started out and became a proper business person with my own proper business and trying to make things work because I, I kind of made quite a big jump as well away from the film industry, which was to do with lifestyle, a lifestyle change. Because when I was in the film industry, I was working crazy hours. It was great. I travel around the world, work on exotic projects, exotic locations, but you never know when you're going to be home. So it's really not good for a family life. So I decided to jump away from that. Um, when, when my the post-production company I was involved in that didn't work out, I decided to jump away. But because I was jumping away, I had to learn a lot more, right? If I just set up a, a business inside the film industry, you'd just be like going into that contact book of setting up deals within that world. It would have been um, easier. So I had to learn the stuff. And one of the big, big mistakes I did was kind of like imagining a business. I don't know if that makes sense. But like... Um, like thinking, oh, well, all I need to do is X and then Y will pay me this. And if I can do that 20 times a month, get 20 people doing that, happy days. I'll be buying a house in the Bahamas and a speedboat, right? Mm -hmm. Which is crazy, right? But I think uh, there's a bit of this madness probably in a lot of business um, people to start with. Maybe, or maybe it's just me. I don't know. How do you feel? <laughs> uh, well, so, I mean, I love doing all sorts of random things. I, I call it active procrastination where, you know, I okay. like I'm making progress on something where I'm really not. So like, I love buying, you know, web domains and other things that, you know, with just an uh, idea for what am I going to do with this? And who knows if that'll even happen or it might not. In my yeah. mind, it's simpler, much simpler than just than what the complexities that involve an actual business so in my mind it's like oh this is a good idea that's all i need Let, yeah forget about the fact that this is tons of execution work to yeah. make that something worthwhile well i think that's a really interesting point because actually i think that's a big thing that a, a big thing i see now especially in the online entrepreneurial space is a lot of people invest in tools like lifetime deal tools um, absolutely I'm, you, I'm a sucker for AppSumo for sure oh uh, okay all right cool but i think like here so here's a big uh, mistake i think that people make is mis or of not understanding the true cost of taking on a new tool right let's let's say your CRM software is costing you like 50 pounds a month or $50 a month, right? And you think, oh, well, that's costing me $600, 600 pounds a year. I'd love not to pay that. There's a lifetime deal. I pay $50 to do that. But you might have already spent like three months building out automations in your CRM at a cost to yourself mm -hmm. of your own time of like $15,000, right? In building out those automations. But you're not, you're not s you're not including those costs in in changing the you know you're not including those switching costs in that investment so i think and i think a lot of people do that and i think that's a huge uh myth and a big mistake people make yeah um actually i, I was just reading this book recently uh, called digital minimalism by uh, cal newport and he talks about how you know a lot of times we'll bring in technology into our lives kind of willy-nilly and not really contemplate the the cost of it you know we might see a benefit or two that looks appealing but then when we start implementing it into our lives it might take up a lot more time mental real estate even just the notifications from a new piece of software can can kind of overwhelm sometimes our, our productivity and and take us away from things so a lot of what he says is is um, incorporating new things with intentionality and making sure that you know there's 
there's a reason and a, and a benefit from it that far outweighs any of the possible, you know, drawbacks and to be much more, you know, kind of concentrated and, and picky with, you know, what kind of digital technology you bring into your life. I know I'm not that way at all, but it certainly seems like it'd be a good method of making sure you don't fall down that, that path of just feeling like, like you're doing stuff because you're buying tools or software. Yeah, and just like stacking it up and put it on the the virtual shelf as well. That's the other thing that people do. And yeah, I think he's right. Is you've got to be more selective and intentional about what you do with that. So yeah, and as but like, I mean, I don't know about you. It's like your phone, like my phone. I really have a love hate relationship. My phone, I find it such a distraction. And like I really, I might get one of those old Nokia's that doesn't mm-hmm. do anything, but apart from phone calls, because. I'm not really sure what the benefit of having all that technology in my pocket uh, is all the time. How do you feel about the phone? Yeah. I mean, I, I also have a love hate relationship. It's kind of hard to want to distance yourself from those kind of things in this you know day and age, but it's definitely something that's questionable in terms of how much value you get from how connected you are, you know, and like, Sometimes I'll have even, I think my phone's going off my pocket, vibrating and nothing's happening. So it's just, you know, it's kind of almost like a Pavlovian response to uh, technology that, that might not be good. And I think in that same book, he might even offer some ideas of, of switching primarily to desktop instead of doing more mobile so that you can choose, you know, what kind of things are um, invading your life, so to speak. hundred percent. I, I, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't, I rarely check my email on my phone. It's that kind of, it's the fear of missing out. So this is the big psychological driver. I mean, this is why they put the phone on. This is why they put cameras on our phones, right? Such good cameras because now Mm -hmm. you're like, Oh, I'm going to take my kids out. Don't want to miss out on grabbing a picture. So you take your phone with you. Right. So they've put all this stuff together to make it harder and harder for you to, that's why there's an alarm clock on your phone. Right. It's not because they really care about giving you an alarm <laughs> clock. They just want to make, oh, I can just put my phone next to my, my bed because that'll be the alarm. But then it's their first thing in the morning disrupting your day. So, yeah, um, I'm a big, I'm a love Cal Newport as well, like Deep Work, such a brilliant yeah. book. Have you read that one? Yeah, it's a great book. Yeah. That, so that, I think, I think that's, a, that's a big one for people as well in terms of um, distraction and valuing more the, the, concentrated blocks of production time uh, that they can get done and putting more of a value on themselves, right? And going like, how much is my time worth, right? Especially if you're your own boss and maybe you don't draw down a big salary because maybe like in the UK, it's more slightly slightly advantageous to pay yourself a smaller salary and then pay dividends, right? Mm -hmm. So you might get into the trap of not knowing what your hourly rate should be, but we should all have an hourly rate. We should be able to go, well, if I'm on Facebook today for an hour, that's costing me 300 pounds, 500 pounds, and actually know what the cost. So every day know how much you're costing your business by not getting it, by procrastinating or doing a load of, of tasks that feel like you're getting stuff done, but you're not really... Yeah, I, absolutely. I think it's it's uh, something not a lot of people do, but thinking about you know that the the kind of the opportunity cost of how you're spending your time is is super important. Oh, because you just go. That's the most precious thing, really. Like I, you know, money is helpful, but time is is so limited, and it just it just goes so fast. And also, you know, there's this myth that you can work at the same level throughout the day. And it's just not true, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I can get up and work my best from like six till 10 in the morning. That's when I can 
write uh, the my book that's coming out. I'll, I'll sit down and I'll, I'll write that, or I'll do some other like deep level work, and then it'll be after lunch when I'm a bit tired. I might do a little bit more deep work, but then I get into the shallow stuff like email and stuff and i think you know you do need to be more structured about your day to make sure you can get the best of you for the the work that's going to have the most impact for you yeah for sure i I think not a lot not enough people structure their day you know set future goals and and then set their schedule to like kind of align with those goals not a lot of people really do that but it's it can be incredibly beneficial in terms of just making sure you stay on track and and get things done i know that i'm not the best at it for sure but uh, i need to get get better i'm trying to you know incorporate various levels of planning and and journals and and you know notebooks to keep track of things but still haven't mastered the the ideology but but still trying to figure out what is the ideal way of planning it out but like you're saying you know I, I think I probably have usually three to five hours of good quality work a day. And then the rest is kind of, you know, limping by not, not as productive unless I can get in, into the zone a lot. So I think it's important to, to figure out when you're most productive and, and plan out your day so that you can attack the most important things during that time. Period. Yeah. Yeah. Attack that, attack that time and defend it from interruption. As well. Absolutely. Yeah. You got to give yourself that space so you can get into that deep work. Yeah. You know, I, I, that, mentality. I think- yeah i think a good methodology that i found that works i've got a, a whiteboard in my office and a thing that i like to do is actually just to, uh, like either the night before or maybe the start of the working day i'll write three three to five things down that i'm going to try and get done that day uh, and just that simple thing helps focus you and keep you on track for the day i think the days when i'm less productive is the days when i don't do that so that's that would be a really good habit for people to get into yeah. And I think it also helps because when you, let's say you have three to five things that you want to get done during the day, at the end of the day, if you realize you didn't do, you know, one or two of them, at least, you know, what, what you have to do next. And it's not like as much of a question as to what your priority should be for the next day. You know, a lot of people just kind of wing it and let things come at them kind of willy nilly and randomly throughout the day. But it's, it's better when you can kind of plan it in advance and try to figure out, well, what are my must do's for today? And even if you can't get to it, at least, you know, thinking of them that way certainly helps to make sure that it's more likely that you'll get it done. hundred percent. Yeah. I think, I think, I think you're right. That is, that is going to increase your completion rate. I, I also think the the other issue that people struggle with though, which kind of relates to this is strategic, big strategic goals, right? People don't, people don't think big enough. I mean, there's a balance here. Like if you're into lean thinking, right, lean methodology, um, then there's this whole argument for not doing stuff too big, right? Mm-hmm. Not going too big, not investing. Don't try and build a huge website to start off with, for example, because you might put it up and the whole, everyone, no one likes it. The visitors don't stick. And you've just gone for the big idea straight away and the big execution. It's just cost you loads of money and you've got to change. So that, that makes sense not to go too big with your initial execution but i think you do need to have like a big goal that you're aiming for and a big strategic goal that is like your north star that you're going to shoot for because i think it's very hard to hit a destination if you don't call that out as well you'll just be doing all these smaller projects like for example you might say oh yeah i think youtube's the thing to do so i'll work on getting 30 youtube videos up but it doesn't add up to anything strategic 
And I, so I think that's also another big issue that people don't have a big strategic goal, which they, which they, which they're focused on as well. Yeah. I mean, have you, have you ever read um, the 10 X rule by Grant Cardone? No, I haven't. No, no. Yeah, that's actually a really cool book, but it talks about basically taking, you know, goals that you want to set and then 10 Xing them, multiplying them by 10 so that you start thinking bigger about where you want to go and start attacking things at a, at a higher level so that, the smaller pieces to get there won't be as difficult if you're shooting for something higher. And also, you know, when you shoot for the stars, you know, you might land somewhere not quite up there, but at least much further than if you did more of a realistic goal setting kind of exercise. So it's interesting to see, you know, the different types of, of methodologies there. Some people, like you're saying, do want to have a realistic goal to shoot for, but a lot of times it can be helpful to have a really almost impossible goal that, starts to make you think in different ways and in bigger, you know, bigger solutions to bigger problems kind of ways rather than starting it out so that the business can only handle a hundred clients or something like that. You know, it, it can be helpful to plan for that bigger scale so that as you go for it, you know, you might get somewhere much further than you thought you would if you were more realistically planning it. hundred um, percent. I think you do need to have these wildly ambitious ideas, uh, in your, you know, in your mind, I think you do because I think too, people are too worried about other people's expectations about what they think they should be capable of. Um, and I think if you, you can let all of that stuff push you down and make you want to go into this smaller corner, right, where you think like, I couldn't work with um, Disney, I couldn't work with Warner Brothers, I couldn't work with Sony or whoever, right? Because you're like, these are huge companies, but you can't you can't start thinking that way. You've got to start thinking the people who end up working with those big companies are the people who say from day one that they can and they will go after those companies. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, a lot of times it's just thinking that something's possible that lets you, you know, think of how you can actually get there with it. You know, just sometimes we don't pursue things just because we don't think it's possible. And then you would never even think of the way that you could, uh, you know, do that kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. And don't let other people's expectation, don't let other people's limited expectations of what they think you or they can do weigh you down. You know, the sky, the sky's the limit. It really, it really is. There's, there's always like a real, you know, a, there's always some rules of the game that make things harder. But if you're really willing to put the work in and be innovative, then I think, you know, any anything is kind of kind of possible. And like you say, shoot shoot higher, and then you might achieve something good or big anyway. I, yeah, maybe I, maybe it'll be higher than your original goal might have been at least. You know. Yeah, I mean, like if you look at it from a client perspective, um, you know, people might it might be tempting, for example. Uh, when you're starting up a business for the first time to think oh well I don't have any experience I don't have much value to offer so I'll work for new companies who don't have much of a budget but I always I can do them a deal and they'll want to work with me but what you don't realize is uh, they need five times the results for the money that a bigger company needs and so Mm -hmm. they're much actually much harder uh, to work for than uh, an established company that's got more money, can afford to invest in stuff and not see such dramatic returns. And they're probably not as hard work as smaller clients. Um, So actually starting off with a mindset of a limited mindset of what you can do 
is actually going to cost you. So I think, you know, one, a big thing as a, a business owner is to get the right mindset. That's like the foundation that's going to, to help you perform at a high level. Absolutely. I'm curious, uh, what is, you know, one career or undertaking or hobby that you would, you would um, approach and maybe try out if, if failure was not possible? I call this my get out of fail free card where you can basically picture something that you might not be good at. One thing I would mention because since you've already brought it up is acting or being in movies, that'd be really cool. It sounds incredibly um, scary in terms of, of how much failure is a, a possibility, but I, I would want to try that if you know failure wasn't possible. Is there something you'd want to maybe approach and try if, uh, if you could avoid you know, the, the downsides? I think I actually made my own short film, um, like just as I was coming out of the film industry, which cost me a ton of ma- uh, money and in some ways was, was a failure. So yeah, I <laughs> suppose if I could do that again, without the risk of failure, go and make a feature film without risk of failure. That would be awesome. Yeah. Why not? What That'd What do you think cool. it is about movies and, and making films that appeals to you? I love, I love, it's great work. It's the immediacy of producing something and doing that, the, the creativity side of it. It's yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I would like to do that. I, I have to say though, I probably, I, realistically i'm probably more interested in screenwriting than directing these days um just and i because i just love writing i think and creating creating worlds in my head what power yeah i i can only imagine how difficult it it is for both of those you know because the well the writer has to create the world but then the director has to really bring it to life so yeah it must be tough on, on both sides yeah i think well i feel filmmaking is a bit like warfare sometimes uh, in terms of like when things are going wrong, they're really going wrong and people are not very happy because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot I, of I, a lot of money is being spent very, very quickly. Yeah. Uh, so when you're all standing there and like a bit of equipment's not working or the sun's coming out and it's not supposed to be coming out and you've got 10 minutes left to get the rest of the day shots, then yeah, it's a high stress situation. But yeah, if I can have a free pass at making a film, then that'd be awesome. That's cool. Um, I'm curious if you could go back about, you know, 10 years or so, is there any specific advice you'd give yourself from 10 years ago that might help you skip some of the the heartache and hurdles in life? I don't think so because I think I'm at the point now because of what I've been through. So I'm like a product of the mistakes and failures and there are, there are many and you have to, you have to read my book that's coming out soon if you want to hear all about them. Um, Absolutely. What's it called? It's called uh, AWOL to Growl, like A-W-O-L, like absent without lead to growl, which stands for growing, working, and living smarter. So for, so, go, for my, so the book deals with the idea that uh, you might be a business leader who's so consumed by their business, so wrapped up in it that like you're leaving what really matters, your family, your the, the hobbies that you love, you're leaving that all back on planet Earth while you're off on your madcap business mission, right? So consumed by it. Um, yeah. So the book, the whole, the, the, the concept of the book is to help you uh, unravel that problem and find like a coherent way forward as a business owner. 
Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to, to want to take back some of those mistakes because they can be some of the biggest learning lessons. So yeah. I can understand how you wouldn't want to deviate yeah. the path. I mean, I, I think I'd probably some of the trickier, I'd probably t- tell myself about some of the trickier people I've worked with and how mm-hmm. to av- how to avoid them. But then it's just all, this is now all valuable stuff that I get to share with other people. So yeah, it's hard to tra- trade it in really. I suppose work probably work less even now, even now I try and work less and less, um, you know, to have better work and life balance is really important. And so I'd probably, I'd probably tell myself just to give myself more of a break probably. Yeah. And a lot of things I hear is, is, um, just have more confidence in yourself. A lot of people, when they go back, it's more like a, a more frightened younger version of themselves that wasn't as, um, confident in their abilities. So that, that can usually be a piece of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Someone said to me, I think someone, a guy I know called Mike, who's a really good guy, he said to me uh, that the problem is sometimes you're at the top of the mountain in terms of what you know, and there's no one else up there. And so it just seems really confusing and you don't really, you like tend to over deliver because no one else is up where you are. And it's confusing that no one else is up at that level. Yeah, Um, and it can be easy to forget what it was like when you weren't there. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that that would be another thing as well. You know, appreciate how talented and and good you are at what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining, Andrew. Is there anywhere you want to point listeners to uh, maybe catch more of you or or go check out more of uh, what you're doing? Yeah. Okay. So good place if you uh, to get started. You can go and check out Interstellar dot report which is a website, interstellar.report, where you, where you can take a free business test and get a free business report, which assesses you on your strengths and weaknesses. And you can go to he- check out my blog and my business development system at interstellarway.life. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining. And I appreciate you know sharing yourself. I know sometimes it's not as easy for some people to talk about failures. Oh. and. <laughs> No, like I, I, I'm really easy. I've, people in the UK have a big problem with failure. I think there's a healthier over the pond. I think there's a healthier relationship. Like here, if you tell people, oh, I had a company that didn't work out, they're like, oh my God, don't tell anyone that because they'll never want to watch, <laughs> work, but, uh, you know, work for you. But in the States, it's like you've got a president who's got loads of companies that didn't work out. So that's true. You know, <laughs> it's a very different attitude, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I think the more comfortable people can be talking about it, you know, the more everyone will understand that's like a necessary part of success. Totally. Yeah, it really is. Cause if you can't, that's, that's how you, but failure is how you become an expert. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause you uh, if you're not you failing, you're not really trying it, you know, yeah. and you can't really learn it from a book, right? You can, you can a little bit, but the deep lessons come from failure. Yeah. I think the books are more supplemental. The experience piece is what really drives a lot of that home but, you know, having that book knowledge and bring that to a failure can certainly make it, you know, more uh, useful. But, yeah, just only doing, you know, the books and, and stuff like that probably would just make it so that you're you might conceptually know some things, but you don't really fully understand it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I think you're, I think that's true because I think sometimes you I think sometimes you might have an experience or know something's going on. And then the book would help to add clarity to that situation. But it's the two things coming together that really makes it hit home. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining. And, uh, and I wish you success in the, the new book you're writing and everything else you're working on. Ben, great pleasure being on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, 
Always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time.